Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hi, welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. This is Jeff Jowdy, your host for today's discussion on board relationships and especially with independent schools. And we are honored today to have Dr. Bill Mott with us. Bill, welcome to The Beacon Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate asking me to be on this program, and I look forward to talking with you. We look forward to your expertise. Bill is a renowned government expert with a career spanning three decades at independent schools. Bill knows the value of the relationship between the head of school, board chair, and the board of trustees. He's an adjunct instructor to the Master's in Education Independent School Leadership Program at Vanderbilt University, has been the head of school at three independent schools, and today is the head at Providence Christian Academy, has been a member of the Board of Trustees of several independent schools and nonprofit organizations. Bill has his Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Mississippi and his PhD from Vanderbilt. He's a graduate of both Leadership Brentwood and Leadership Franklin. And as an author, Bill's written three books now, specializing in board governance, especially in relation to independent schools. His most recent, Healthy Boards, Healthy Schools, takes a closer look at the role the board has in determining the success of the school. So Bill, again, thank you for being our guest for any nonprofit, but especially an independent school is to us the most important factor in success. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. As I said earlier, I look forward to having this discussion with you. Well, Bill, head of schools inherit different circumstances, but how does a head of school develop a healthy relationship with their board and especially the board chair? That's a great place to start, Jeff. And I think for me, it always begins with communication. And when you have good communication, then that leads to other things happening that can be positive. Collaboration, trust, respect, shared vision. All of those things lead to a healthy relationship. But you begin with communication and you begin with an understanding that the success of the school is dependent upon that relationship. One of the things that I have learned in my career is if this relationship is not working, the board, chair, and the head of school, then I find that both the head and the board chair are trying to fix that, as opposed to trying to do the work of, of the school and the board. So it's in everybody's best interest, ultimately the students, that the board chair and the head of school are sort of figuratively on the same page when it comes to governance and administrative responsibilities. So how would you approach that with, say, a, a new head of school, they've maybe signed a contract, hopefully, maybe not. <laughs> how do they uh, address this issue with the board chair and help the board chair to understand the dynamics, the roles, and responsibilities? I think it's probably best to set the tone from the outset, and the board chair and the head of school come together and they develop a rapport and a relationship that says, this is how we're going to work together. In my case, what I always found to be the most helpful was to have a regular, ongoing communication with the board chair. So whether it was he or she, we would either meet or talk on the phone or email or text at least weekly. So we were connecting with one another weekly. I think that's especially important in an independent school where the board chair, in our case, is not a current parent. So in our case, she's the parent of two alums. 
but she does not necessarily know a lot of the things that are going on at the school that a current parent would know. So it kind of falls to me to make sure that she is kept informed of everything that's going on, both governance nature and other things at the school that I believe it would be beneficial for her to know more about. Excellent. Thank you. In your most recent book, you mentioned the importance of building a strong board culture. Can you share a few recommendations on how to Yes, I can. For me, that's such an interesting topic. About two years ago, I was asked to do a workshop for a really, really good independent Christian school in Atlanta. And one of the things that the head of the school wanted me to discuss was board culture. And I had not thought about the issue of the board and its relationship to the head in quite the context of what he was referring to. But as I began to explore and had continuing dialogue about that, it really became a pretty important issue that I had not really paid enough attention to. So when we talk about board culture, what we really mean by that is how does the board behave and how does the board relate to the head? And in that context, What cues does the board take from the board chair in terms of how we treat the head? In other words, is there respect? Is there a shared vision? Is there collaboration? How do we behave? What are our expectations? Do we talk down to the head in the meeting? Do we talk about the head when he or she is not in the room? What what are those behavioral expectations that we have? And, and what will the chair tolerate and what will the chair not tolerate? Do we allow the board meeting to continue on in the parking lot? No, that's not a best practice. And so we have to understand what does your culture look like? Do we have an expectation that attending meetings is important? Do we allow trustees not to attend meetings and somehow believe that that's okay? All of those things kind of factor into what the culture of the board looks like and how that relates to the work of the head of the school. Strong culture best practices is going to equal strong school best practices. Again, in follow-up, there's some tactical things that, that a head of school and or board chair can and should be doing to develop that strong culture. Again, I kind of think it goes back to communication. One of the things I think it goes directly to is the board chair and the head being on the same page when it comes to board recruitment and who can be on the board and who should be on the board and who has the best interest of the school at heart. In my tenure, both as a head, as a trustee, and who has worked with boards on these issues, I find that schools are all over the map on this issue, and it's really kind of troubling in a way because I think board chairs and board members don't really understand the value of the head's perspective when it comes to board recruitment. And I think that's really important because you want people on the board who really care about the school, who don't come in with hidden agendas, who really see that what is in the best interest of the board and the school is in my best interest as well. And so that's, that is the premise under which we operate. So just so from a tactical perspective, give the head a voice when it comes to who is on the board of trustees and give the head actual, what I like to call veto power. Because sometimes the head knows and has information about a prospective board member that no one else has. And he or she needs to be listened to when that is the case. We need to have a great deal of trust between the board chair and the head of school and all of the trustees for this enterprise to work as effectively as it can. So I I like that idea of the committee on trustees and their interaction with both the board chair and the head of school. So let's get the best people on the board and that is going to save us 
a lot of headaches down the road. When I think of boards, and we were talking with them before we started recording, of a board where there were some probably pretty long-tenured, maybe too long-tenured board members. <laughs> so I think you, you mentioned advisory boards in your book. Yes, and, and I do. Role and, and can you maybe connect that with the longevity of a board member, board terms, and then the strengths and benefits of an advisory board to leverage for a head of school? Sure, I, I can. I, I think that's a great point, Jeff. One of the things I talk about in the book is is this whole issue of terms of office and tenure on the board. And I find that boards fall into the trap of keeping trustees on for, for too long. And I'm all for keeping great trustees, but there has to be a system of rotation where people come on and off the board so that there is fresh perspective. I just think you just can't beat that. And so I know it's a touchy issue sometimes. I know that it can be an emotional issue, but there are places for great trustees. And one place might be an advisory board. And so one of my recommendations in the book is for a school to look at an advisory board, both for a wonderful place to put trustees who have demonstrated value to the school, value to the board, and at the same time, create opportunities for people who could be prospective trustees. And so I like both of those. I think when the setting up of an advisory board is taking place, in the book I talk about there, you know, there are a series of steps that you have to go through to make sure you're doing that in a manner that's going to be the most effective for the school and for the advisory board. Because one thing you don't want to do is you, you know everybody that you would consider is busy. And so you want to be sure you're making the best use of their time and your time. And so be very cognizant of that when you're selecting people to be on the advisory board. I know that schools have been very successful with this whole idea of prospective trustees. It is a training ground, if you will. You get to see them in action for a period of time and how they react and how they work with others. Is it all about them? Do they see the greater good? What is their outlook toward the whole enterprise? A lot of things that can be observed that later lead to sort of cultural expectations can be observed if you have an advisory board. I also like the idea of what do we do with great trustees whose time has come to step off and out of that role? Is there another role for them? And I think in a lot of cases there is, not in every case. And again, I think this is where you have to be careful in that selection process. But a lot of trustees who have been on the board for a long time, they don't see a retiring from the board as quite what they're in for. What's another role? Well, an advisory board role might be just the ticket for them to still have input, to still provide advice and counsel and support and encouragement, but not have the same level of responsibilities that a typical board of trustee member has. Bill, you've had great insight and appreciate what you bring to the nonprofit arena, especially independent schools and the critical topic of boards. So yeah. thank you so much. We would be delighted to have you back on the Beacon Podcast, and this has been terrific. To our listeners, go to Bill's website, williamrmottphd.com where you can purchase a copy of Healthy Boards, Successful Schools. You can follow Bill on Twitter at William R. Mott, Ph.D. And again, Bill, thank you for being on the Beacon Podcast for this important discussion on independent school boards. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. It's been my pleasure, and I think you and I would agree that independent schools play a vital role in preparing our leaders for tomorrow, and therefore it's behooves us 
to get this whole board relationship issue correct as much as we can. It's, it's critical. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.